Hey guys, welcome back to the second part of Pee Wee Motherfucking Gaskins. That's right, the crimes of Pee Wee Gaskins. We delved into the early part of Pee Wee's life. He had a colorful life. We got into some of the murders. When he killed people. The coastal kills, as he called them. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff for me. Yeah, it's an interesting case. Yeah, it really is. I'm surprised that more people don't talk, you know, it's not more widely talked about. You hear about it here or there, but... Like I said, I, I've never gotten the details, honestly. Yeah, it, I'm surprised, as you mentioned, that it's not a bigger case or that his name isn't more, like, synonymous with the Gacy's, the Bundy, you know. You think because it was Pee Wee? <laughs> maybe. It doesn't maybe really strike the, fear in the heart of people. Maybe it's the location, South Carolina. Yeah, I, I know. Even, I'm not really sure. They're ignoring us, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> the South will rise again. Well, yeah, not like that, though, because <laughs> no. that wasn't right. <laughs> well, no, I just mean with the murder. Okay, <laughs> enough of that. So we left off with the part of the story where a senator's daughter went missing and was murdered. A guy was arrested on the murder, but later Pee Wee would say that he killed the girl, but it was never proven. Uh, the victim was 13-year-old Margaret Peg Coutino, and she's the daughter of Senator James Coutino, Jr., Another man was arrested and convicted. Law enforcement couldn't prove that Gaskins was involved, but a little research into the claim shows that Gaskin was, in fact, working in the neighborhood where Peg was taken. She'd walked by a house where Gaskins was doing a roofing job on her way to and from school. So that has been proven. And he's a functional predator. He's proven that. So He rented a cabin. Now, this is according to Pee Wee. He rented a cabin in Charleston. He drove to Sumter, found Peggy, the senator's daughter. I guess she had at some point sassed him, as he described it, mm. while he was working on this roof in the neighborhood. He killed her, left her body in the road to be found. Okay. So her body wasn't hidden away. But he set himself up with this alibi so he wouldn't be a suspect, according to Pee Wee. That's why he took, took the steps to rent the cabin. I'm going to be in Charleston at this time. Okay. To throw cops off. Okay. Well. Again, not proven, but Pee Wee is claiming he was involved. During this time, he was also driving a hearse around town, which well, I thought that, was an interesting detail to mention. Well, that's pretty awesome. He had purchased a hearse, and that was his mode of transportation. I mean, it was a little odd, but I guess people were just like, oh, well, you know, that's just Pee Wee. He's such a weirdo, and kind of thought it was, like, charming. But it was a utility vehicle for his crazy ass. I'm, I mean, I'm dying for a hearse. <laughs> right, but you're never going to... Pun intended. You're not going to use it to move dead bodies. How do you know? Oh, well, I, maybe I was assuming that you shouldn't. You know what they say about assuming, Dylan. Yeah, assumptions. Right, but I do want a hearse. We've looked into possibly getting one. Yeah, yeah, you can score a really groovy one for pretty cheap. Cause That's it turns why out... we want you got Join Patreon. Sign up as a patron. <laughs> give us your money. Support the podcast and support... My mission to purchase a Mountain Murders hearse. Oh, we could totally... Yeah, okay. Okay. I see where we're going with this. Yeah. Make a rolling billboard out of it, baby. Fuck yeah. Okay, so back to the Pee Wee story here. He's driving around this hearse, just generally being kind of a weirdo. He's Pee Wee Gaskins. He then kills a woman, Martha Dix. Now, she's a black bisexual woman whom everyone around town called Clyde because she dressed in men's clothing. Okay. She would hang out at Pee Wee's garage. 
because not only is he doing the roofing, but he has a garage. Because remember, he's a car thief. Yeah, and he can take a car apart and all that mess. Exactly. So he has a garage. Martha has been described as brassy or salty, as the kids say. Okay. She was always, like, teasing, you know, everyone that was hanging around, kind of carried on with people, would sort of make those brassy, you know, abrasive kind of comments. Well, back then, women acted a certain way, so I'm sure if you did any of that, you know, people would be like, oh, she's sassy or brassy or... All the other guys who would hang around the garage thought she was pretty funny, but her joding kind of pissed Pee-wee off. He didn't like to be the butt of her jokes. And she definitely knew that he didn't like it, so she would do it more frequently. Yeah. Because she knew she was, you know, getting a little sting in, and so when she'd get a reaction out of him, she'd kind of keep on keeping on, you know? Yeasting his ass up. That's what we call yeasting your little ass up. Martha made a joke about being pregnant with Pee-wee's child. He didn't want anyone thinking that he'd slept with a black woman, so that's when he decided he was going to murder her. Yeah, see, that's what she doesn't realize. She's fucking with the wrong one because he's the craziest fuck. This is what is so odd to me, is that Pee-wee was okay with having sex with boys and men. Like, he admitted that as a child, he was raping boys. He's had sex with multiple men <clears throat> in prison. Talks about that pretty openly, but was worried about the racial issues of like, well, I don't want people to know I slept with a black woman. Well, I guess that just comes with the times back then. Yeah. I mean, I just thought that was pretty But that strange, is crazy, though. Right? He masterminds this plan to lure Clyde, or Martha, back to this little shack he has with the offer of drugs and alcohol. That would get, get me. <laughs> would it? <laughs> <laughs> then he says he took acid from a photographer it was some kind of chemical that was used in a dark room for developing that the photographer had described as being pretty dangerous. You don't want to mess with this. So he takes this acid and he pours it <clears throat> into a Coca-Cola. Then he had her drink it. That's evil. Not he, even knowing what it's going to do to her. He threw her body into a creek and it wasn't found until years later. No positive identification was made on the body, but the bones are likely Martha Dick's. Later, Pee-wee would admit that it was her body. So, if you just casually piss him off, he might decide to kill you. Maybe, if the mood were to take him there, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's maybe um, compound compounded by him being little guy, you know, having been picked on, maybe be picked on even as a grown man, because he's a pretty small feller. Right. And, uh, so well, and maybe, you know, his mental illness, because it seems that he <clears throat> clearly has some mental illness, even though it's not diagnosed. Well, yeah, but also it could come into that if you belittle him, make him feel belittled and all the other parts of his personality and the narcissism and I'm sure all the rest of that, then, you know, he just he has to make that right in his own little twisted mind. And the best way to do that is just kill you. Yeah, it seems like that would have. That could have been like a learned behavior from his time in reform school and in prison. Yeah. That survival mode. Or like the set of rules, things you do and don't do to someone. Or they have to react. This is probably one of the worst murders that he admitted to. So let's get into this. In 1973, there was a woman named Doreen Dempsey. She's a 23-year-old. 
She was divorced. She was pregnant, but she also had a two-year-old. They had mutual carnival friends with Pee Wee and his fifth wife. His fifth wife. So that's (laughs) kind of how Doreen knew them was through friends, kind of mutual carny friends. She had been brought over to Pee-wee's house before because she was kind of in a jam, needed a place to stay at some point. So because she had stayed with them before, she assumed when she needed a place to stay again that she could just go to Pee-wee's and they would offer her, you know, a couch to serve for a couple of days. Right. Until she could get another place to stay or kind of figure her shit out, you know. Well, Gaskins would later say that her two-year-old daughter was biracial and that he knew the baby was biracial as well. And he didn't believe in mixing races. Uh, no. He did not think that was okay. I mean, this was South Carolina after all. Racism was rampant during this time. I mean, let's face it, there's still a lot of racism. Was it still 60s? Yeah, well, this would have been 73. Yeah, but still. He told her she couldn't stay with him, but offered to take her to a bus station so she could go to a new city, get a fresh start. One thing, one point can I make, um, you know, they always be like, well, it was the South. The whole country was fucking racist. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll see some other stories about in New York and, uh, you know, they uncovered these mass graves and, you know, all the stuff in Manhattan and, you know, the whole country was fucking racist. Right, but you're not driving around New York City right now seeing uh, Confederate flags everywhere. No. But just across the border in South Carolina, off of Highway 25, there's a whole Dixie shop where they sell nothing but Confederate flags. Well, that's because it does not represent their heritage, honey. Because I'm just saying that. <laughs> I, I know it's a whole, but I'm just saying <laughs> you couldn't go up north and like live like a you know total, be treated like a complete human being is all I'm saying. I get that. But yeah. They were all assholes. Are you done? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He promises Doreen, you know, he's going to take her to this bus station, maybe give her a little cash. She can go to a new city, get a fresh start, get a new lease on life. He took Doreen instead to a wooded area where he raped and killed her. He then raped and killed her two-year-old daughter. Jesus. He buried them in the woods, but not before allegedly cutting off and eating part of Doreen's leg. Now, remember, he claimed he participated in some cannibalism. And so this is one of the cases where he's saying, hey, I ate part of this chick flag. But I don't want nobody thinking I had sex with that black lady. That's where I draw the line. Doreen was found two years later buried about two feet deep in a wooded area near his house. Because this, the, the wooded area where he buried her was close proximity. He, I think he actually owned like this big chunk of land where okay. she was buried. And the child was found stuffed down in a tree stump on the property. I just don't know how you do that. Next, he killed a couple who lived in Charleston. Johnny Sellers and Jesse Judy. Well, that's a name. The pair owed Gaskin some money because he had paid for Sellers' bell at some point. Sellers was in jail. Now, they were folks, I guess he knew through the business of, like, the, the burglary business because Gaskins was stealing cars He was breaking into houses, you know, fencing these items. So he kind of knew this couple because they were burglars. Part of the network. They were kind of doing that same type of thing. They were going to split some money from a stolen boat that they had planned to sell. 
But sellers couldn't get enough money to pay Gaskins back. The boat deal, I guess, kind of fell through. The details there are a little sketchy. Gaskins is pretty pissed off. He wants his money. He lures the man into the woods and shoots him. Then he returns for Judy, and he killed her too. Now, later Gaskins would say that murdering Jesse Judy was one of his regrets. He had been sexually intimate with her at some point. And he said he rationalized the killing because he knew she'd flip out when she learned that he had killed Sellers. So he felt like he had to kill her. But he was sentimental about it. He buried these two in what would become Pee-wee's private graveyard on his property. Also, I believe, where Doreen Dempsey and her daughter were buried. There was some rumor that Jesse Judy's husband had hired Pee-wee to kill the couple. Okay. But that was never officially proven or established. And the theory is that, you know, it's more likely that Pee-wee just killed this guy because he owed him money. So he's just killing people left and right. The same year, he claims he killed two carnival workers, two women named Linda and Jeanette, near the Isle of Palms in South Carolina. He claims he shot them both in the head, but that was only after he found out they liked to date black men. Ah. No bodies were ever found, and investigators would debate whether to count these murders or if it was yet another fabrication or, you know, peewee just spinning a yarn. Now, could you imagine being these investigators back then? And, like, one thing would be some horrible shit he described is, oh, God, we found the baby in the tree stump, and so he really did that. And then he tells this other story, and there's no way to tell if it's true or not, corroborate the um, evidence, you know, the fact that's true or not. But, um, so, yeah, I bet that was a harrowing experience for these investigators back then. In 1975, he killed three people who were broken down on the side of the highway. This was the first time he included another person in his murder. He called a guy named Walter Neely, who was an ex-con that he had known, I guess, from his time in prison. He was kind of a buddy. So he called... Uh, a buddy? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Sod da, da, da. What? Um, sodomizing butt sex. No. Okay. I'm sorry. Is that another dad? Is that like a, is that a temp of like a vulgar dad joke? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're taking dad jokes up a notch, guys. Pipe it down over there, homie. <laughs> well, okay, so he calls this guy Walter Neely to help him drive the van to the garage because he's like, hey, this is a pretty nice van. Yeah, I've murdered these three people, but I'm going to paint this van and resell it. Okay. That's Always how shit works back then. Making a little extra cash, I suppose. Walter Neely gets involved, knows about the murders, helps him get this van over. You know, they paint it, they resell it. It's pretty stupid to involve someone else just because you want to make a few bucks on a van. <laughs> well, it was the same year that Pee Wee was hired as a hitman. A woman paid him $1,000 to kill her ex boyfriend. Now, okay, this story, I guess it gets a little complicated, so bear with me. Gaskins kidnapped and murdered the ex-boyfriend while two male friends who had kind of helped arrange the hit watched. So more witnesses. Two of her male friends? Yes. Oh, God. So I guess her two guy friends have heard Gaskins because people would say that he would make these offhanded remarks about murdering people or that he's killed people. And they knew he'd been to prison and that he was like a little crazy. He drove this hearse around. Well, you can imagine he probably doesn't act normal, if you will. But 
people also just thought that he was like a weirdo. Yeah, I'll like, put a chain oh, through you and lower you in the swamp. Yeah, okay, like, the, ha, ha, he's just fucking around, though he's quite the jokester. Yeah. Because that's just barbershop talk, I guess. I don't know. The woman's name was Suzanne Kipper. The victim was a guy named Silas Yates. Apparently, he had called off his relationship with her. He had bought Suzanne a trailer and okay. some other gifts. Hey. And she wanted to keep these items, so she thought she'd kill off this guy Yates because after they'd broken up, he wanted his property back. Pee-wee agreed to the murder for $1,500. That's a pretty good chunk of change back then. Pee-wee called a woman named Diane Neely, who was the ex-wife of the con man, or the ex-con Walter Neely, the man who had helped Pee-wee with the van situation. Okay. Now, Diane was... Her part in all of this was to get Yates, like, to come out of his house. She was going to pretend she had car trouble, lure him outside. As this is happening, Pee-wee's going to jump out with a gun. You force the guy to get in the trunk of the car. Judy Chopping. Maybe. Then he stabbed Yates with his 11-inch knife, which mm. is the one that he, remember, killed the hitchhiker with. Yeah. I he don't stabbed even... her in the vagina. Where the fuck you keep a living this knife at? I don't know, but from the book Final Truth, Pee-wee would call this knife like his toothpick. Oh, Jesus. That was like the nickname. Okay. I guess he had for this knife. Well, it's not cool as needle, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're a Game of Thrones fan out there. He had Kipper's two male friends bury the body of Yates. Now, after Pee-wee killed Yates, he and Suzanne Kipper started having, or Suzanne Kipper, sorry, started having a relationship. Eventually, Kipper would end up in prison for the murder of Yates, along with Pee-wee, like once it's found out. Really? She was actually paroled in July of this year. No shit? July of 2019. Yes. Wow. Diane Neely then tried to blackmail Pee-wee along with her new boyfriend, she demanded $5,000 or threatened to go to the police on Pee-wee. That's a smart move. Pee-wee murdered them both, Diane and her new boyfriend, and buried them in a grave on his property, which was basically, you know, now becoming like a graveyard. Yeah. He's buried multiple people there at this point. The next murder that kind of takes place in this timeline is Pee-wee kills 13-year-old neighbor Kim Gelkins. She was a friend of his daughter's. So this was a girl that would pop by the house, hang out with his daughter. They were friends. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, none of that you've means got, anything to him. He's I a full-blown sociopath. Like, you've got daughters. Yeah, no, you know, I We've got daughters. They've got friends hanging out. We're around these kids. Yeah. I mean, that's unfathomable. Yeah, I'd be like, duck, duck, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it just, it, none of that matters, means anything to Pee-wee. The story is that Pee-wee, at some point, propositioned Kim Gelkins for sex. Because, you know, he likes these young girls. Okay, he's just probably like, ooh, gross. Yeah, he's a perv. Of course, she turns him down. This is her friend's dad. He's a gross old man. Yeah. You know, ooh. A grizzly, a little gross tendon. Yeah. Little, He's just a little wiry, little goblin, crazy fucking dude named Pee Wee. Probably talks crazy and gives her a creepy feel every time she comes around him. Yeah, he's like this little goblin from Nilbog. <laughs> yeah. Well, he kidnapped her, raped her, and then buried her over by Yates's body on his private graveyard. So he's got like five or six bodies there. They're piling up. 
you run out of room. She was not the type of girl to run away. Gelkin's father was pushing to find her. I mean, he just knew my daughter is not going to run off. She's missing. Something's happened to her. I would have heard from her by now. You know, she was a pretty responsible girl. Like, this is just not cool. So he's really, like, pushing to find her. And Gelkin's also had a teacher that was pretty actively involved in the push for an investigation. I know she's missing. She was a good kid. She confided in me. She was not She was not planning to run away. So they're really, like, trying to figure out what's happened to her. Gelkin's father knew his daughter had been to Pee-wee's house. He felt that Pee-wee was a suspect and kind of kept going to the cops and pushing, like, you need to check into this guy. He's creepy. You know, he's got that garage. He's driving around in a hearse. Right. He makes these really offhanded dark kind of jokes. I mean, he's just a fucking weirdo. You got to go check this guy out. So cops are kind of looking into Pee Wee as much as they can. I mean, they don't really have any evidence to go on. But, you know, they know he's got the criminal record and just the odd behavior. I mean, he's kind of known around town. Well, he's got a, yeah, he's got a serious criminal record. Reputation. Yeah. Okay, so then that moves us forward a little bit in the story on the timeline here. Dennis Bellamy was a 28-year-old, and his brother, half-brother, is a 15-year-old guy named Johnny Knight. They were employees of Gaskins. The two broke into his garage near Charleston and robbed him of tools and some other stuff. They're like, ha-ha, we're going to steal this shit, sell it, we're going to make some money. Gaskins knew that Bellamy was responsible for robbing him, now, little did they know Gaskins himself was a maniac. The two stop by Pee-wee's house. <clears throat> Pee-wee then takes Dennis and his friend Walter Neely out for a ride because he's telling Dennis that he has a new location for a garage that he thinks, oh, this would be a prime place to open a business. You should come out here, check it out with me. I want you to see it. Yeah. They take him out to Pee-wee's private graveyard where they murder him by shooting Dennis in the back of the head. So this Van guy, Neely, is the same Neely? Yeah, same guy. At this point, he's kind of actively participating in Well, he's got uh, an accessory after the fact, and now, right now, this is, sounds like he's even more involved. I know, this is like conspiracy. Yeah, conspiracy to commit murder, at the very least. Pee-wee pretty much told Neely to do, you know, whatever he wanted, like... Like, whatever, you know, Pee-wee's desire was, he would just order Neely around. Okay. Like, hey, you're going to help me bury this guy. We're going to take this dude out here. We're going to shoot him. I mean, he just was kind of always bossing this Neely guy around. And Neely just would go along with... Okay, Pee-wee. Yeah, exactly. So Neely would help him in a lot of these cover-ups. He helps bury the body of Dennis Bellamy. Then they go back to the house and they pick up Johnny, the 15-year-old. They left him at the house. They tell him some story about how, I guess, Dennis just was so, you know, he's like so impressed with this piece of property in this garage. He's that still out there. He's still out there checking it out, but we want to take you and show you. I mean, this is just really suspicious, and I have to look at this kid. I mean, I know he's 15, but you have to be kind of fucking stupid to buy into that. Well, and you know that you robbed this guy, and you know he's a creepy little fucker, too, I'm sure. They drive him out to the spot, you know, the spot, and they shoot him. Oh, and I should mention this. 
Diane Neely, that was murdered for trying to extort and blackmail Pee Wee over the hired hit, right, was Walter's ex-wife. And, and you got to remember, Walter Neely is the guy who is the accomplice. Right. Diane is Walter's ex-wife. But Neely didn't know that Pee-wee had a hand in murdering Diane. Right. He doesn't know any of this. Well, while they're out at the graveyard, Pee-wee tells Walter about killing Diane and her boyfriend. He admits what he's done. Then he confesses to Walter about all of the murders and where he's hidden the bodies. Okay. And I guess this guy, Walter, is probably, like, going along with all this. I mean, one, he's kind of actively been involved. Right. But also, you're out in this graveyard. Helping someone kill and bury people. And he's just shot two people in front of you. I mean, you're probably just going to be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Because if you don't go along with it, this guy's going to pull his gun out, shoot you, bury you there. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet list of shallow graves you just told me about, man. That's pretty cool. I, right. I, I wish I could murder like you. Yeah. Yeah. Try Maybe to I'll help you cover from, up some more Yeah, I'm going to help you, but I got to go to Ohio first. <laughs> so during this time, authorities are still looking into Gaskins for his suspicious behavior. And because Gelkin's father, the teacher, other people are kind of pointing the finger at Pee Wee about this missing teenager. Yeah, it's a little uh, case of community pressure on law enforcement to do something. Because this all kind of happens within a really small span of time. Like, the Kim Gilkins girl goes missing, and then in the meantime, he's been robbed by these two guys. So he's killing them. So this is all kind of just in a couple of weeks span. This is not like over the course of a year. It's just within a short period of time. The cops are on to him. They're watching him. They're questioning, interviewing people. A lot of residents around town, neighbors, keep like bringing it up that um, Gaskins seems like mentally ill or like he's not quite right in the head, that his behavior is really off, that he's volatile, that he's pretty scary. A lot of people want to avoid him. He gives me the creeps. He's a weirdo. He's driving around in a hearse. He makes these really off-color jokes. I mean, a lot of people in town are like, mm, you know. Yeah. Not feeling this guy. Yeah, he's a fucking weirdo, dude. He's like definitely an oddball, which kind of made him an easy suspect. As word is spreading that we think Gaskins might be involved in this girl's disappearance, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's like all kind of starting to click Right, tell him some together. other shit he said or some other weird thing he did. About a month after he kills the two brothers, police have a warrant for Pee-wee's arrest. They search Pee-wee's trailer and they find Kim Gelkin's clothing items in the house. Now, Pee-wee explains this as, well, she was my daughter's friend. She's over here hanging out. She spent the night. Just left so some stuff behind. So, if her shirt, her pants, whatever here, it's likely because she left them when she stayed over. Oh, that's, there's her hand. Oh, how she must have forgot her hand. So at this point in time, all they can do is charge Pee-wee with contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Okay, well, I understand they're trying to get pressure on him. So I'm not exactly sure how they came up with that charge, right. but that's all they can do. Police then start questioning Walter Neely. They know he's a close associate of Pee-wee's. They feel like, okay, well, here's a person that we can maybe apply some more pressure to. He's also an ex-con. 
will threaten him. I was going to say know, he may be a him. bit of a shit bird around town too. I mean, if he pals around with Pee Wee, let's be right. honest. Well, Neely kept his mouth shut in the beginning, but finally confesses that he's witnessed Gaskins murder Bellamy and Knight and that he helped dispose of those bodies. He then leads authorities to Gaskins' private graveyard, which happens to be located in Prospect, South Carolina, where he's buried around six victims. Neely tells police that Gaskins has admitted murdering multiple people who are missing persons, and they start looking into these, and these are people who have been missing over the past five years. You've got Doreen Dempsey. They find her body. Then they find Martha Dix, which, as I mentioned before, they were never able to identify positively that that was Martha Dix's body, but through Neely's story and then later Gaskins' own admission, this pretty is, sure this is. is pretty, yeah, this is likely Martha Dix. Now, eventually they find Yates's body, that was the guy they were hired to kill, along with Kim Gelkins, the neighbor girl. These places where he disposed of the bodies were very close to his trailer home, all within a few miles away, and primarily on the property that he owned. Okay. You know, that were very close to him. So he could control it and no one be out there? Pee-wee claims he disposed of evidence in the coastal kills, and those were the hitchhikers that he had killed, uh, because he knew cops were closing in on him. So he says that he did actually have some items, I suppose, that he kept. Exactly. But when he knew that they were on to him... He went to Florence, South Carolina, and was last seen like getting into this taxi cab trying to get to a bus station. He's deciding like I'm getting rid of this evidence and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the lam. Like okay. they're not gonna find me. I'm out. While he's getting in this taxi, trying to get to a bus station, there is, I guess, a, an officer there who recognizes Gaskins from I'm assuming like a mugshot or that kind of thing and arrests him for the murders. Okay. Now, eventually, Gaskins goes to trial. He's charged with eight counts of murder. Now, Pee-wee did take the stand at his trial. He is given the death penalty. He pleads guilty, I guess, to seven murders, is sentenced to life in prison. I guess he was saved for a bit of time because originally he was given the death penalty. Then sometime, I believe it was in like 1977, they ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional. Yeah, it was at the Supreme Court, wasn't it? Federal ban. So that shut it down all over the nation, right? So when that happens, they flip the sentence to life in prison. Yeah. But then when the death penalty is lifted again, he is put back on death row. Okay. Or, you know, when they lift the ban. So then he's back on death row. They kill his little monkey ass? Well, while he's in prison, he was hired as a hitman by someone else to kill another inmate. Now, this was like kind of a crazy story. I suppose there was an inmate in prison that was there for murdering like a family, like a mom and a dad. Okay. And the son on the outside like hires Pee-wee to kill this guy okay. as revenge for the murder of his parents. Okay, so that's almost noble. Like avenge. And there were, it's just, it's crazy. So Pee-wee yeah. kind of comes up with this explosive device I don't know how, if he's got, like, the anarchist cookbook or some shit Probably in prison. Or some shit he just wanted to try out on killing someone. You know, he was like a a little entrepreneur on the, how to kill a person. I mean, I, that's crazy. Yeah, that happens while he's in prison, that he, you know, wants to, to kill this other inmate. 
you know, he's sitting on death row. While he's on death row, he has a journalist come in claiming that he wants to tell his story. He's going to tell all. So this journalist, of course, is very interested in what Pee Wee has to say. They sit down. That is how the book, The Final Truth, comes out. Ah. But there was like some stipulation in there that Pee Wee was like, I'll sit down and tell you my story. You can publish it, but you have to wait until after I'm dead. Really? And see, there again, this goes back to Pee Wee controlling the narrative, yeah. painting himself much bigger, badder, meaner than maybe he really was. He can embellish these stories or he can just make up lies because there's no one there to disprove what he's telling. So that's why in the first part when we were talking about this book, you got to take some of this with a grain of salt because right. you just don't know if it's verifiable. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Now, he may have been trying to make himself bigger than life in the end there, but it's definitely, there's evidence that he was a brutal sociopath, you know, psycho, who did not mind killing people. And he killed quite a few people. And who knows how many more he brutalized or, you know, traumatized. Right. And so even though the coastal kills may have been exaggerated, he may have not hit the peak number that he's claiming, which would be, you know, 80 to 100 people. But it is possible that he did kill maybe a handful of people during that time. Maybe he really did do some of those things and they just were unable to find the bodies. Yeah, I I do believe maybe that's when he gave into his impulses and his fantasies they'd been having. Now he may have, you know, embellished details and make it like this whole thing with, you know, putting chains through people and lowering them and Give him the old razzle-dazzle. Yeah, but that's not to say he didn't just kill them. Or uh, who knows, a crazy little fucker might have done some of that shit. Well, he may have. And again, you kind of touched on it in the first part of the story that even if he didn't do those things, just the mere description and the fantasy right. and the detail that he's giving yes. proves that he's got a pretty uh, active... Proves he's fucked. Fucked up imagination. In the head. Right. Sorry about that, bombs, guys. I love the word fuck. Well, I have to apologize, sort of. I mean, I'm a former sailor. Yeah. And apparently my mouth is still a sailor. Yeah. Yep. She's a foul mouthed little thing. I am. I know. It's very unladylike. My my granny's probably rolling over in her grave right now. Yeah. He was electrocuted in the chair. Yeah, yeah. Electric chair on September 6th, 1991. Wow. Hours before his execution, he tried to kill himself. He sliced his wrists open. Control. Tried to Again, kill himself. I'm going to control this. You think you're going to do this to me? I'm going to do it this way. Well, that little wh- fucker. Well, that and also what a fucking cowardly thing to do. Like, oh, I'm scared <clears throat> of the electric chair, so I'm just going to slice my wrist. I want to go in an electric chair because then what's going to happen is it's going to be like that movie Shocker. I'm going to go into my spirit's going to go into the like the electric outlets and shit. And I'm going to go back and get everybody to cross me. Oh, yeah. You've seen that? Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Dude, does pimp. <laughs> Tries to slice his wrists open, is found. They give him medical attention, but they still like, we don't give a fuck, you're going to the chair. Now, his 20-year-old son, Donald Jr., because remember, Pee-wee's real name is Donald. Donald Jr. was the only relative present at his execution. His and- other children, ex-wives, friend, like no one else came out for the big peewee show well i mean well you could imagine a lot may show up just to watch watch him die 
But um, I don't guess they let everybody in there, right? No, but, but I mean, you can I be guess, out front. Yeah, but I guess family would be allowed in. You can be out front with a sign, be like, "Hi, right, we love you." You know, there's always weird ass people who're like down for the people that. Well, it's actually up people. pretty interesting. I posted along with the link to our part one on the crimes of Pee Wee Gaskin some photos, and I found a photo, and it's the. I guess protesters outside of the prison. Yeah. But they've got signs that say like "Die Pee Wee Die." Really? Yeah. Oh, I got. I didn't get a chance to look at those last I night. I mean, I'm gonna look at those. This was in '91 when he was executed. He was notorious. I mean, probably the most prolific murderer killer to come out of South Carolina. He's yeah. like legendary there. And you got to consider '91. I mean, he's a villain because. Back then, I mean, there were probably people with a true crime interest, but I think the world viewed murderers, killers in a different way. And not to say that today we celebrate them, but I think we're more interested in them. Yeah, well, I I think that's just because it took that long, you know, from back in the day when, you know, the cops started thinking and developing, you know, the whole Mindhunters thing and like we need to you know, talk to these people and try to figure out what makes them tick and, it, you know, start understanding. It took all the way through the 90s to where, but there's still not a whole lot of understanding. You know what I mean? Right. It's like we drag them out into the light, but all we do is just, uh, you know, just, uh, or like, oh, you're shocked and all this, you know, and people, but now it's like we've evolved in a way and maybe we're just twisted people, all of us, that enjoy yeah, true crime. Yeah, I don't know crime. how to call it progress. Maybe but we're, we're, <laughs> I saw that when you asked what, you know, uh, why people like true crime, many said the same thing as me. Uh, me, I just want to know what makes them tick. You right. know, like my point is everybody has trauma. Like you said, everything happens, you know, everybody has something that happens bad when they're growing up, I would think, to a degree. But what's that perfect cocktail that makes, um, you know, an uncaring maniac killer. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we can get into that discussion of, you know, are nature and nurture. Murders, I think some mitru- mixture made. Are they born that way? Right. Are I they think, created? Yes. Is it like a secret scientific discovery in a lab? I mean, I don't know. But well, I mean, really, <laughs> in the future, can they like do a you know a DNA test or a gene test and be like, this person has you know eighty seven percent chance of being a psychopath? Will they start culling out the murderers? And if they do, what the fuck are we going to do with our free time? Well, I was going to say, or if they do, um, were they going to lock me away? No. Uh, oh, hold <laughs> up, y'all. Hold I'll, up. I'm just saying. I hold have, up. This shit just got real. I have tendencies. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. So I think I, I think now we just want to know what, what makes them tick and why they do what they do. Hashtag sociopath. Just kidding. So you had mentioned on our Facebook page that we did pose the question, you know, why do you like true crime? And I told you know, our followers that we might mention them on the podcast. So we did get some pretty interesting comments. Let's we talk did. about a couple of those. There's a great comments. Uh, Debbie Franklin says, my answer is simple from the Bible. Really half of our blood is Cain's blood. Half of our blood is Abel's. We can go either way, good or bad for whatever reason at any time. I truly believe this lies deep inside each of us. The only difference is what triggers it. I like to see exactly what makes people tick what their trigger point is. Yeah, I like that comment, Debbie. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Of course, our buddy Danny Satterfield, <laughs> he <laughs> says, oh, no, I can't. I'm incognito. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's funny. 
Um, huh. Sarah Gutierrez says, I'm fascinated with the idea of being a detective and analyzing crime scenes. I'm also curious with people who have committed the crimes. Gary Ramsey says, I like the psychological aspects of crime. What makes a person do what they've done? What was their background? And what part did that play in their decision making? I think a lot of people feel that way. Sharon yeah, see, that's Verdue more... says the same thing. She says, it's the, why did this happen? It's like a jigsaw puzzle fitting the pieces together so that all the missing pieces make a complete picture. Sometimes we have the picture, but we never understand the why. Yeah, I have one here from Ashley Doyle. She's like, honestly, I don't know. I've been obsessed since I was a kid. My mom would buy me books on serial killers, and I read about Manson when I was maybe 10. <laughs> I love the why, but also the psychological and disordered aspect of it all. I'm also terrified professors for knowing i've also terrified professors for knowing way too much about this also not sorry <laughs> now that's a real fan that's a real true crime person right there my friend sonia goodman says i find it fascinating that some people well most people can withstand childhood trauma for the most part and not become psychopaths who act out some people just break and take others down with them a lot of us are damaged yet never go off that cliff Maybe we are living vicariously through them. That's a good point. And then Leanne Loggins actually uh, finishes up with ideas. <laughs> so I like that. So that's a great answer, guys. I agree with most everything there. There's, Yeah, I agree with all aspects you're, you guys are bringing up. And that's what we like about um, Mountain Murder's Facebook page. we got some real true crime fans. We do. It's a fun little community. And we don't mean our fans. We mean true crime friends and fans. And we, we're just like you guys. And that's why we sound like doofballs and just carry on and on about serial killers. <laughs> well, if you like our Mountain Murders Facebook page and you love our podcast, sign up on Patreon. Now, as a patron, you can sign up at our lowest level, $3 a month. It's less than one coffee. Three bucks a month, and you're going to get exclusive content only available on Patreon for our patrons. Sure. You're going to get other perks. You can give us cases you want us to cover. Yes. I mean, there's a lot going on over there. Photos, videos. The more patrons we get, the more content we'll be able to produce. We're talking about maybe recording, like doing a video of our process of, of recording the podcast so uh, yeah. you can actually see how goofy we really are there's a lot of stuff over there and there's uh we put more there every week and uh, there's full-blown episodes and there's some little mini episodes some companion episodes yeah sometimes we get a little off topic from we stray a little bit from the traditional true crime appalachian mountain murder story and delve into some other topics yes we've, we've got some that. great ideas in the works some things that we want to look into that are not necessarily true crime but kind of go Along with that, maybe paranormal. We talk about legends, just a lot of weird little Appalachian things. So, yeah, for the price of less than one coffee, which I get those daily, sadly, I got to cut that out. But uh, you can get access to all that and you can directly support us here at Mount Murders. We'll cut out the corporations and all the middlemen and we'll keep this thing going, guys, because we want to just keep doing it. We have lots of fun. And we really enjoy uh, meeting and talking to all of you. Support the podcast and help us grow Mountain Murders. Don't forget, if you're not following us on Facebook, go find Mountain Murders. We post a lot of memes, a lot of stories, fun content there. We're on Instagram, Mountain Murders Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter 
under the name Mountain Murders. Yes, and uh, don't forget to subscribe at your favorite podcast provider because you know what? You never know when we're going to drop an episode, folks.